Today's episode is brought to you by Rootless Coffee Company. Rootless is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more, Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when you visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. And uh, my guest this week is Dylan Walker of Full of Hell. Um, I'm coming to you, by the way, from Detroit, Michigan. I'm hiding in the van. It's cold. It's rainy. This is the only way I can really make this happen while I'm on the road. Um, Yeah. This uh, this episode is awesome. Um, I really appreciate Dylan. He and I have always bonded over a lot of uh, like early 2000s Saddle Creek emo indie rock type stuff. Um, so this conversation was really fun to have. Um, but before we get there, let's hear a little bit from our friends over at Discovered Magazine who actually currently have Full of Hell on the cover of the latest issue. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER, spell that out, when you visit store.dscvrd.co. Go give them some love. They're a fantastic, fantastic magazine. Um, and also, uh, I have a Patreon. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where right now there is a bonus issue with, bonus issue, bonus episode with Dylan, where... Uh, Subscribers were able to an, uh, ask him a couple questions and submit some questions. And uh, there's a bonus episode right now where he is answering those questions. Um, I think that's it. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I play a show in literally 25 minutes. So you can tell I might be rushing this a little bit. It's the nature of the situation. Uh, here is my conversation with Dylan Walker. Oh, man. Uh, Dylan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Weather's yeah. beautiful. Hurricane just blew through, so it's all sunny now. Yeah. What did it? Uh, did it affect your area very much at all? Or are you all right? Supposedly, I haven't left my property in the last 24 hours. Um, we have like a pretty easy system for keeping water out. We have a creek around our property, and I just like there's like some dam systems and stuff. It's we didn't really have any damage. Oh, that's we got wonderful. Lucky. Yeah. Forgive me for actually asking this. I don't know where you are. Are you in Pennsylvania or are you in like Virginia? Yeah, I live in central Pennsylvania in, like, a really tiny town. And, uh, yeah, there's only, like, 3,000 people in my town. It's sort of near where I grew up. I grew up near, uh, like, Penn State University, like, main campus. Um, and I just always stuck around here. It's where I met my wife, and it's just nice and quiet and easy and cheap. 
So. I remember when we were doing the reminders video and you, and you uh, so graciously sent us a video of you and your cute dogs. Um, oh, yeah. I remember just the my takeaway from the video was like, damn, he lives in like the most gorgeous looking place. Central PA is really beautiful, man. It's like the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. I don't know. It's a nice place to live. I, I really, really like where I appreciate where I live. Yeah, it doesn't nice. sound like you plan on getting out anytime. Sounds like you're you're there forever. It's integral to everything else I do in my life. Yeah. Too. Yeah. No, totally. I understand. Have you from traveling? Has there been any other places that have ever piqued your interest? Like, oh, I could live here. I mean, honestly, I started touring as soon as I got out of high school, and the first thing I started to realize was that people are kind of the same no matter where you go, and so the only factors were like geography or you know things to do. And the Pacific Northwest is like breathtaking, like blew my mind. So if I had to live somewhere just based on geography, I might be like shooting for like Olympia or Astoria or something, but uh, you know, family's here. So that's all that matters. Yeah, no, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always pretty taken away by the Northwest too, especially like once you kind of get away from the the city areas, like when you're, when you're, even if you're just like 40 minutes east of Seattle, like that whole air, you know, kind of like where they filmed uh, like the Twin Peaks stuff. Like that whole oh, area yeah. is just an unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I'm so taken with it, man. It's like another world, like Middle Earth or something. <laughs> truly, truly, <Sick>. truly. Uh, <laughs> what about like over, what about like internationally? Has there been any place that like ever oh, kind of made you be like, oh, I could live here? I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, so I had forgotten what. Uh, what an interest I had as a kid in like Japanese culture, like pop culture. And the first time we went to Japan in, in 2014, I was just like, just mesmerized and like in love from the moment we got there. And every single time, it's just like, that's the place where I'm like a real tourist. Like generally I'm kind of, I guess we're kind of privileged because we get to travel around in our bands for so long. But like Japan is just like, Asia in general, I'm really fascinated with, but Japan is just like, a place I definitely could live. I remember being legitimately sad the first time we left, like leaving on the airplane. I was just like, man, I'm really bummed. Like I could spend a long time here. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. It's, it's like the one place that, um, like my fiance and I am, I'm always just like, I, I want to do like a full on vacation, but it's tough with like the, even just the travel there because like with vacation days being limited for, uh, oh, yeah. for her, it's like, two days is just to get there because the flight yeah. is so long. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a bit tough to, to, uh, to organize, but I'm with you. Like just getting to like, as soon as you get into like Tokyo and you see like the lights and how busy it is and everything like that, like it's truly breathtaking. It's oh, yeah. such a gorgeous place too. Yeah. And I love the rural areas and like, I'm re- just really interested in the culture and the food is delicious. And I just feel like our experiences, people have been so welcoming I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I think, like, it seems for Americans, like, they tend to maybe commonly fetishize Asian culture or whatever. But, you know, maybe I'm guilty of that a little bit. I just really like being over there. It's just, like, it's just a good time, and I'm really interested in it. And I yeah. want to take my wife as well. That's definitely, like, yeah. I, the one place I want to take her. Every every time I bring <laughs> it up, uh, Ashley's always just like, we got to go during the cherry blossom season. I was like, yeah, that's when everyone wants to go. <laughs> it's like, that's probably the hardest time to actually afford to go. But I'm like, I get it. I want to go there at that time too. You know? Dude, that was the first time we went. We oh. toured with week, Weekend Nachos in April and it was the cherry blossom season and they had the festival and everything and the shows were crazy. We played with all these like legendary bands and dude, we just had 
I don't know, man. It was just really lucky. I can't believe it. I mean, I think we have some of the same friends over there. Shout out Uchu and oh, Damien yeah. and everybody. Like, best people. I think, actually, we got connected with Uchu through, like, Loma or through you guys or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that would make sense. Uchu brought us over um, the first time when it was us in Loma. And then did, yeah. t- did Tadashi bring you, bring you yep. down? So Tadashi did the second one, and then Uchu did the third one, and I will probably do Tadashi for the next one. Man, but it's, it's really hard to to like figure out the logistics because we just want to hang out with everybody both of both of those parties and it's usually one or the other uchi's setup is so dope though running that print shop those guys are some of the best printers i've ever met in my life yeah yeah i'm sure that i'm I'm sure you guys bonded over that because i know you do that stuff too now i'm just thinking about how much i want to go back over there it's been a long time for us we've we've been itching to get back over i don't think we even went we didn't even go on stage four. So like, yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. It's, it's been kind of a minute. Do you guys have plans to try to go at some point soon? No, but we talk about it and like every record we do pretty much comes out with Daymare. So I think, you know, within reason, we're like sort of welcomed there when we feel like going, but we definitely try not to go super often. Cause I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's one of those things, especially nowadays, we try not to go places like too often just yeah. band wise. So we don't want to like burn people out or feel like we're going too often. Totally. Um, I mean, everybody loves it so much that it's like, well, yeah, we got to go to Japan. I think right, in, right now the, the thoughts are like how we can wrap in like a full Asian tour. You totally. Know, that kind of thing. It's, it's just so many logistics that go into it. And, and Asia outside of Japan is just like extremely tiring to travel through. Yes. So yeah, it's a you. tough one. You guys have done Southeast Asia, right? Yeah, only one time, though. But so brutal. Beautiful, awesome kids, but, like, tiring. Holy y- shit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> the, the, when we went to, it was, we were on tour for, like, almost, like, nine weeks straight. <sighs> Jesus. Because we did, a, we did an entire U.S. tour. And then we did, it was, like, six weeks with, like, Circa Survive. And then we flew to Australia from New York, did Australia, New Zealand, flew from Australia to Southeast Asia, did Southeast Asia, flew from Southeast Asia to Frankfurt, and then met up with Converge and then did four or five weeks with Converge in Europe. Crazy. It was. The world tour. Yeah. And, it, and I, it, believe me, that was the most like, oh my God, I need this. Like we, we all kind of collectively agree because that was like when <laughs> we were the most like gung ho. That was when we collectively agreed like, hey guys, let's never do this again. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I think we're past that phase. Like, I feel like, yeah, th- the opportunities are presenting themselves now where it's like we could do that if we wanted probably better than we could have done it then, you know, sure. but I don't want I don't want to I don't really feel like being away for more than a month, to be honest. Like, I'll do it if the opportunity makes sense. Totally. But I'm just like, yeah, I just I think there's just a balance and I don't want to burn out. I mean, yeah. that's like a real thing for sure. We Like that. What a travesty to like get burn out on the thing you love the most in the world. Absolutely. You know, you're totally, you're, you're totally right. Um, so are you, so you said you're, you're from uh, central PA originally. Yeah. It's like, uh, but this little town called Belfont is where I'm, um, I guess I'm from. And, uh, that's like 10 minutes from PSU main campus. Okay, cool. Um, I'm curious, like when you were growing up, what was the first, I mean, you and I have connected a lot on, on music that probably people wouldn't expect, uh, definitely you, but, but you know, the both of us to, to really be into a lot of the Saddle Creek stuff and, and things yeah. like that. Um, but for you, what was the first thing that you connected with musically when you were growing up? Man, I'm really lucky. My parents were extremely into music. So like from the moment I was born, I mean, 
they were really into the Grateful Dead. So I'd been to a bunch of dead shows like in utero and then as a baby and growing up and they were really into punk rock and bluegrass. Wow. So I was always surrounded by like, and I, yeah, my, I mean, they named me after Bob Dylan. They're just like obsessed with, they just, music was always playing. So oh, there was so always, cool. yeah, man, I was so fortunate. And, uh, you know, um, so like Bob Dylan was a huge part of my childhood and they were always listening to the Grateful Dead and like they really loved like older pu punk stuff like The Clash, you know, and stuff like that. And even my mom, um, she used to go see Bad Brain shows and Ramones and stuff, which is crazy. Oh. I didn't, when I started getting into punk rock, like, like I guess like fifth grade maybe, um, she told me these things and I kind of thought she was lying to me just, you know, being my mom that wants to be cool and connect with me. But she has all these old photos from these shows when Bad Brains were like really young in DC and these awesome pictures of her with the Ramones and stuff. Whoa. So I kind of feel like I had like a mini leg up in that regard because my parents, they weren't trying to shut me out of like that kind of culture. They encouraged it and they kind of like made it like mythological to me. They were just like, this is the meaning of life essentially, you oh know? Oh my God. What, so, uh, what were your, what were your folks doing? Like, uh, during that time were they were they living in dc were they like what what kind of what was their life like were they working in that kind of world or what no they were just normal they just they just loved music um my dad probably around that time was in college they went to like a state university in like shippensburg i think they went to for their undergrads and and they just were like young working class parents my dad was working construction and, and trying to finish school and my mom my mom uh had like a degree in biology and was like working in factories, which she's still doing. So they were just like normal people, but they really loved music. And like, that was just a part of our house. So I'm, I'm really fortunate for that. And it's funny if they ever had any, like, I don't know, like regrets about me just like throwing everything else away to just do music. It's like almost entirely their fault. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could point the finger right at them and be like, it's kind of because of you. Um, yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. No, totally. Um, it's interesting too, because I feel like, especially, I mean, if they were going to see the bad brains and things like that, like when I think of the word counterculture, like it's easy to find counterculture in this day and age in like the last 25 years, 30 years, you know what I'm saying? It's like you could turn on yeah. TV and find, find counterculture, but to have been present and going to see bad brains and stuff like that, like you had to have been in the know you know so that's like super awesome that your your parents were found that stuff yeah i mean i think they were a bit in the know i don't think they were like like die hard like true heads like super punks or anything okay but they they knew about these things and they went to these shows and they were my mom was taking pictures and you know um i don't know i just remember it always being around and like i remember the week jerry garcia died like i'm not a, i'm not a deadhead sure. i appreciate it all my friends that's all they fucking talk about uh but, you know, I remember the week that he died and my dad was like absolutely devastated and it was like a huge deal. And I don't know, it was just always around. So I guess I didn't really know another way to live. It felt like a utility from the beginning. So, you know, that's definitely formative for me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, so you mentioned your parents like took you to see the dead and stuff like that. Like, uh, what was the first concert that you went to? Like, you were like, I'm buying, like, I, I would like to go to this or I'm buying a ticket to this. Do you remember what that was? My mom took me to see the misfits in state college in like when I was like 11 or 12, I think. Oh man. And it was like, it was like Jerry only and, and robo and someone else, you know, it was like a, you know, a scab lineup or whatever. Um, but it was sick. I don't know. I don't remember too much 
of it. I was like a pretty small dude. My best friend at the time was like a diehard, like, you know, uh, super fan of the Misfits. So he was just like freaking out front of the stage, just like going crazy. I was like, we were pretty small and everybody else were adults and like we were trying to be in the pit and it was kind of, <laughs> kind of rowdy. But I guess that's the first show I remember to going to. My mom took me to see Green Day as well. Um, there were shows I wanted to go to as I got more into metal. There was like a local scene um, and those kids were all into like, like much heavier stuff. Um, and I wanted to go see Dying Fetus when they came to State College when I was pretty young. My mom had this like war against fetus. So like if merch would come into our house, she would just throw it out immediately. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, so they didn't really connect with me when I got more into the metal stuff. I don't think it, that's really their thing. But sure. that's, that's where I went because I think I just had this natural pull. I just wanted more extreme shit. And I always talk about like this band that formed in my middle school and high school that played locally that kind of sounded like Cryptopsy or something. They just, I didn't know that a kid around my age could play music like that. Like I just wasn't knowledgeable enough to understand that like kids were making this kind of music. And it just blew my mind watching this band play this like technically proficient, like brutal music. It kind of like changed everything for me. You know, it like wow. propelled me, you know, forward into like needing extremity, you know. And they were like just like an actual local band. They didn't put out records on any labels or anything like that. Yeah, they had songs on pure volume. Um, okay. And, and like, uh, you know, that kind of started, you know, I don't know if you noticed this. I'm not sure exactly where you live either or what it's like in Southern California. But at like 15, 20 years ago, I feel like the small town music scene was more of a thing. You know, there'd be bands that would play like My Little Town Here or like Belfont or something that like touring bands would come through and play these little towns. Like my first grindcore show I saw was in uh, this little town called Belleville and it was in like a elementary school gym. And and Belleville is literally just like cornfields. Yeah. And And these were like, you know, pretty popular regional bands at the time, you know, like Circle of Dead Children or something. I don't know if you've heard of them. Oh, yeah. They would like come through the area. That kind of stuff doesn't happen nowadays. And I don't know if my progress would have been like severely stunted had that not existed at the time. It's I think it would have been. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I think, you know, I had George on here from Deaf Heaven and we were talking about, I mean, the conversation we had were a lot was a lot about like suburban metalcore, you know, like right. everyone <laughs> played in like these bands that, you know, and, and so being from LA, um, I didn't go to shows like that, you know, in Hollywood, you know, they bands like, you know, like a lot of that stuff wasn't really playing around here. It was either in Orange County at places like Chain or, um, for instance, there was a, there used to be a venue up by Santa Barbara, uh, called the hard to find. It was in Goleta, I think. And uh-huh. it was basically like, uh, I think it was like a third grade classroom that bands would play in, you know, like there was those nice. sorts of things but they weren't in LA proper. You know what I'm saying? Like the, we all, it was like always like an hour or two outside of LA and that's where shows like that kind of stuff would happen. So it, oddly enough, it's like we did have that stuff, but um, we just had to travel, travel further out to actually go to those shows. You know what I'm saying? To see the kids. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I mean, dude, I think kids in rural areas, they're at like a severe disadvantage. Cause I don't think it's so common nowadays. Like t- when I look at like the the bands that have come through just this little area I live in now, it kind of blows my mind. Like that 
deathcore band Whitechapel played like right down the street one time, which nowadays is literally the most hilarious, out of place thing for me to consider. And I'm 31, so I'm not going to book shows for 15 year olds at my local high school. You know what I mean? That has to come from that community. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that shit. Yeah, no. But it's just weird. It just doesn't exist anymore. And I think, and it's the same way for the rest of the Full of Hell guys. You know, they grew up in Ocean City, Maryland, and that's like a huge resort town or whatever. But minus the 500,000 tourists on season, it's a small town too. And they had that small town metalcore thing. And and I don't know, I don't know what 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 would have come if that hadn't existed for, Cert- for those guys. Yeah, you know? like certainly MySpace played a large role in that stuff. Because oh, yeah. that's how you booked. Tour. I mean, like bands, <clears throat> band I was in pre touche was like in that metalcore world, and like we would book tours just through you know posting like, hey, we would you know we need a show in you know fucking yes. Missouri, and then you would play a town that you know was like a town of three thousand people, and you'd play in a basement. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, I, 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 yes. I, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure people are gonna listen to this like younger kids and be like, yo, we still got like you know these sort of like DIY what, which. These things probably still exist, but how how it would happen these days is I think I'm a I'm I'm too disconnected now. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm I'm curious yeah. how it happens. Oh yeah, it's different, but I'm 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 specifically talking about prevalence too. I mean like I know those small town scenes still exist, I'm sure, yeah. but not at the same prevalence as it did when MySpace was a thing. Speaking of MySpace, do you remember when like all of a sudden MySpace was just like nuked? <laughs> Like, that was kind of what all the bands relied on. And then I just remember one day just starting to notice, like, and I think Full of Hell was a band when it happened. We were just, like, we were just about to maybe put out a 7-inch or we'd already put it out. But I was just like, damn, what the fuck happened to MySpace? Yeah, I think it was, like... It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's interesting to think about how Touche did have a MySpace when we started. You know what I'm saying? So I think it, it yeah, had to have been, like, 2009, too. 2010. 9, 10. Yeah, nine and yeah. ten, I think. It, it's just like weird. all of a sudden became like this cannot be navigated anymore. <laughs> like, and it was such an important tool, yeah. though. I like had spent so much time in in my high school bands, like you know, using it to get tours booked and and to post new music and as like a metric of success, which is seems it seems funny now, but I mean, it's still used as a metric. Social media, anyways, yeah. you know, it's just generational. It's like Instagram now. I mean, Facebook is kind of nuked now too. Totally. I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, who's using it? Uh, but, yeah, I just remember Spencer and I being, like, kind of confused. Like, how do we book tours now? Yeah, we when <laughs> when Touche started, we I booked all of our DIY tours, honestly, through the Bridge Nine board, which is crazy to think about. Oh, yeah. Where it was just, like, I would just post the dates and be like, can anyone help us out with shows? And, and you know, we had, we had luck through there. But shortly after Same. that is when we started working with our – our agent and stuff. And then, you know, we moved on, but, um, it took us, it took us a long time to find an agent. We, we used a lot of local message boards too. I had like a, it's funny. Um, so I've had like the same Google account for forever Mm -hmm. and the toolbar. If I look at the very edge at the bottom of like my saved links, there's still like a Nebraska board and like a, 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 like a Louisville board. And, and we would like post blind in these trying to get a gig. And sometimes I just remember like, I think it was Louisville or Indianapolis in particular, just me posting for a show sparked an enormous fight because they were like, why are we wasting resources on booking these like new bands that no one fucking cares about and no one knows. And it just was always like such a mixed bag and you were driving blind. Did you guys ever like 
drive way out of your way to a show and you show up and it's just like not happening oh my god yeah like there's no flyers like how many times did that oh my god Uh, yeah i mean if (laughs) if not with touche if with the bands i was in before this yeah yeah that that was always a fun classic situation you show up and you're like well we're at the venue and the promoter's not answering his phone or his email and the no one's here like what's gonna happen let's go sleep in the walmart yeah, well, you end up sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. Yep. I, I really think those experiences are are crucial to, like, who we are as adults yes. and, like, how my band chooses to carry itself as, like, individuals and as, like, a unit or whatever are these, like, ego-decimating failures. I think they're, like, so important to a band, especially any band that has, like, anything to do with, like, music on an underground or DIY level, which is like most of the things that you and I listen to. Yeah. So yeah, it's super. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I was just listening to a a podcast, um, that my, uh, a comedian friend does. And he was talking about, you know, I never thought about this comparison, but he was talking about, you know, starting out as a comedian and just going to open mics and just eating shit and just eating shit, eating shit, like, and basically the importance of eating shit. And Yep. And in a way, I feel like that's the same sort of thing for for young bands or, or in this world where it's like you have to have the shows to fall through. You have to have the shows that six people show up to or less, yep. you know, like yeah. playing to other bands. You have to be rid- ridiculed. Yeah, yeah you got to be ridiculed. Yeah, all of that. Uh, it, it certainly builds a backbone and, and also lets you appreciate when things start to turn around and, and go your way. Exactly. Exactly. I really think it's important. I never you know, it's funny because I. I'm not like super well versed with comedians either, but in the past couple years, I've definitely listened to some podcasts featuring comedians where they talk about their careers. And I thought it was so interesting, the parallels between DIY comedy and like DIY music. It, there really, there really are a lot of similarities and even like the vernacular, there's like overlap there and, and the way they talk about bombing shows. I'm just like, man, I get that. Yeah. It's crazy. There are a lot of similarities. Totally. Cool. 100%. Um, yeah. I know like you play, you play some like, uh, some like auxiliary style instruments for, for full of hell, obviously, but like what, uh, did you ever play any like guitar bass things like that? Um, yeah. So I've played a bunch of instruments. I played baritone in like concert band for years and years and valve trombone in the jazz band wow. and a little, a little bit of like a year of cello. Cause I thought cello was sick. Um, Is that cause of cursive and then, and a little bit of guitar. No, it's actually funny you mentioned Cursive because that's like my wife's favorite band from when she was a yeah. kid. And I never, no one ever gave me a Cursive CD and she played Ugly Organ for me like two years ago. Man, that would have been one of my favorite bands probably. Yo, They're just a very creative, interesting that band. That record. They're really that, great. That was like the record. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a few albums yeah. that are so specific to certain eras. And I feel like the Ugly Organ... Um, was just like collectively everybody agreed like this is the best record of all time <laughs> like like this is this is it for this year you know what I'm saying and then like in the same way like yeah. postal services give up when that came out it just like she loves ruled the landscape <laughs> like right. couldn't escape it ruled the landscape yeah um, I, yeah I mean I would have loved it I just missed the beat sure. on it um, I, you know it's actually funny a band that might have maybe stoked i always love string instruments just like period mm-hmm. but i think a band that might have stoked that for me um 
we had this one friend who had really good internet and like was a beast on like LimeWire and SoulSeek. Yeah. A beast. So it was like he was the guy that yeah he just brought the culture to the friend group you know like taught us what bands were. Yeah. Um. He found this. He found that band Murder by oh, Death. Yeah. And he was like, you know, they those guys were all like real meat and potatoes like Bury or Dead hate breed fans mm-hmm. at the time. So I think he downloaded it thinking it might have been one thing. Yeah. The name. He's like. This and it was like, like this kind band. of like. And it kind of, the early Murder by Death had this, like, almost, like, post-hardcore, like, folky Americana, like, thing with, like, the stringed instruments and stuff. And it was just, like, really, really good. He also had a taste for that. So, like, we really loved Murder by Death. And st- I still do. They're, they're a great that, band. Would but, that have been yeah. the um, Who Will Survive and What Will Be Left of Us? Yeah, who, to- totally Who Will Survive yeah. era. Like, yeah, pre-Invocal Lupo style. Yeah where they were really kind of like, they had really interesting arrangements. I think, I mean, I think they just got better, but I really love that really early era of the band. I think it's... Yeah, I, I was all really about cool. that record when that came out too. Because I, I think... That's awesome. I could be wrong if it's that one, but I know Jeff Rickley produced Maybe Who Will Survive, if not the one before that. that. But yeah, because it was on Eyeball Records, which was like the label that Thursday's first record came out on. I mean, that makes sense that hardcore kids would have been getting into Murder by Death then, just through all those associations. Yeah, totally. Because I always thought it was weird. It was just random. I don't know, that, that my friend had, like, brought that into the fold. Because we, we also, I mean, like, everybody in my town that was into music, extreme music, pretty much, you know, even if they were, like, hard asses that only listened to, like, brutal shit, um, also kind of had a thing for Conor Oberst mm-hmm. music. Like, Bright Eyes was, like, a big deal for, for everybody. Yeah. Um, and I remember Fevers and Mirrors coming out and being really fucking depressed as like a human being, just like really being down and kind of struggling with some like, you know, ED and like, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, not erectile dysfunction, but like struggling with an eating disorder and, and just like, just kind of being like a bummed out teenager. And that record like was just frigid sounding to me. It was just depressing. And, uh, but like I could sit in it, I could like sink in it and, uh. I really connected with that too. Um, still to this day. Yeah, yeah. when I've uh, I've talked to friends about this before, but man, let me tell you when when fever, I got fevers and mirrors, the same week as I got like, I couldn't. I wish I could even remember, but it was like maybe one or two other CDs or something. And I was working at a record store, and I remember, Bright Eyes came was on tour for fevers and mirrors and came and played LA that week, like the week I got the CD. And yeah. that week, I just happened to dive more into the other CDs I got that day. And the uh-huh. opening track on Fevers and Mirrors is, like, kind of challenging for a first listen because it's, like... Uh-huh. Has a, a long lo- intro. I mean, most as most of his records do, but, like, that one in particular, long intro, and then, like, the slowest song in the record. So I loved uh, Calendar Hung itself, like, the second track. You know, I was just like, I'm, of course. I'm in. But, um, but yeah, I remember I didn't fall in love with it right away. So I was like, I'll catch them next time they come through. Later, I found out that that tour was at the El Rey, which is like for him, a pretty small room. And it was Bright Eyes, The Faint touring on Dance Macabre and then Cursive touring on Domestica. So it was like those three bands together in a relatively yeah, small room. Show, right? And I just like, rem- when I, re- then I like, you know, it was like two weeks later, I like fully fell in love with Fevers and Mirrors and was like, what did I do? And uh, then he, when he came back, it was like a couple of years later and it was for Lifted. And I was like, I went three nights in a row. I was like, I'm, I got to make up oh, for, yeah. you know. I, I fucking love Lifted too. But man, that opening track on Fevers and Mirrors is devastating. Yeah. 
it just, man, yeah, I just really liked it. I've always been into sad music, you know, and I, I think, like, the more extreme shit I got into, the more it was, like, necessary for me, because my parents were also, like, really about, like, folk stuff, too, you know? Um, so, like, I think that was always just, like, necessary to me. I always wanted, like, uh, like, just a mix of sounds. I just thought it was, like, boring to listen to, to one thing, and those records, when I needed, like, you know, something, like, a, as a downer, that was Yeah, it. for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I've, this it's funny. This covers this part of the conversation started with first musical instrument. So you played some horn instruments. Um, oh yeah, I totally forgot what we were talking. No, no that was <laughs> my sorry. fault. I segued us. I, I went far into a cursive conversation, but it was, I enjoyed it. I, I, pl- <coughs> I played guitar okay. too. Um, so like I picked up guitar at the same time that all my other friends picked up guitar or drums, and I just like I had this like chip on my shoulder. Uh, I still do, I think, where if I'm not immediately killing it with something, I just have this like shithead thing where I quit doing it so like I was playing guitar I wasn't that great it's challenging to play guitar Uh, I went to a band practice for my first band which we creatively named Rotting Carcass very cool name Um, but (laughs) the other kid that played guitar was like a virtuoso at guitar and nobody wanted to sing and I was like maybe 12 13 years old I think and they were just like why don't you sing and I just remember plugging in a microphone and just trying it and immediately being like, holy shit, this is easy. I want to do this. I can do this. And then I just never looked back. There was just never, I mean, this isn't even a good thing. It's, It's neither good nor bad, or maybe it's both. But I just never felt a huge need to challenge myself in in other areas of being in a band after that. Because I was just like, nobody wants to sing in a band. I fucking love it. It feels really easy. I want to do this. Like, uh, I can make these dumbass animal noises. Right. <laughs> sure. So how long, yeah, so I how just, long did that band, was that your first band? Yeah, that was my first band. I mean, I don't even remember at this point, less than a year, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you know how it is. We were like children. Uh, I think we might've played like one or two shows, like in a basement or something. And, and after that, I always had bands going. And then there was like a high school band that stuck around for a couple years, but there were just, there were always bands. And as soon as I joined that first band, I quit every extracurricular <laughs> that I had been in, like all, all of it. And I barely gave a shit about school like ever again. And I barely cared about it to begin right. with. So really my motivation, it's nice, I think, to find something that you can really pour yourself into and it's natural and you don't even have to try to dedicate all of your energy to it. So like I didn't even, it didn't even feel like I had a choice in my brain. I just like, I was like, this is all I want to do. I just want to play shows as much as I can. So I didn't you know, I was a boy scout. I quit that and I quit band. I quit orchestra. Uh, and I just never looked back at any of them ever again. It was like, uh, I was so proud to be in bands. Yeah. That's all I wanted to yeah. do. <laughs> uh, you know, I always ask about like the first show you ever played. Do you actually remember at all what the first show you played was? Okay. So I can't remember. I'm going to, I'm going to discuss like just the two that I, I can't remember which one came first. So the drummer of that first band his uh, grandfather ran a kennel in town and their house, uh, which was relatively far away from the kennel and nobody was playing that loud. We had shows in the basement and uh, they were like a lot of street punk bands, sh- like a lot of street punk bands played and like um, occasionally like some of, the, some of the metal bands would play. But that was our first show. And I remember being pretty nervous and like by far being like the youngest kid down there. I mean, they were definitely like, everybody was partying and I was never into that. So especially at that time, I was just like so green and so young. I didn't feel, 
like threatened by it necessarily, but I was definitely like, hopefully I don't look too out of place. And then the other show we played was like a memorial show for some kids that had died in a car crash um, at this like uh, fairground. And uh, that was pretty awkward too. I remember we had like one song that we thought was like pretty good and we played that song twice in a row. <laughs> we were like, we're going to play it again. Nice. But uh, you know, my, parent, my parents were there and I had a dumb mohawk that was crooked and like, I don't know. Was yeah, was that like more, was that like actually like a punk band or was that more, the, was that the Rotting Carcass band? It was the Rotting Carcass band and I can't say it was anything. It was kind of metal. I was screaming. Yeah. Um, it was kind of punk. It was kind of stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were, it's the young guys band for sure. Do you, do you remember um, pretty, do you remember being like at all anxious or nervous when you were going to go up there? Or were you just like ready to go? Oh my God. Those feelings are eternal. I still feel that to this day. And I was very, very anxious. And I think like the excitement just gets like twisted together with the anxiety. So, you know, you can't really differentiate between them. You're just like on 11 in every way. You're just like really, really overstimulated. I was extremely nervous. Yeah. And, I, and I'm almost always, even still, I get like pretty, uh, pretty high nerves, you know, before we play anytime. Is yeah. it like a mix of nerves and excitement kind of a thing or? Oh, for yeah. sure. It's, it's honestly the same feeling as when I was a little kid. Probably maybe less nervous nowadays just because it's just been so long. Uh, do you get nervous? Like before Not sets? really, no. Not really? No. Wow. It's more, it's, it's yeah. more... I hate waiting to play like, like, and not, oh and, God, and not in like a, not in like, Oh my God, I cannot wait. To, it's, it's hard to describe. I think you know what I'm talking about where my least favorite thing is changeover. Like when, a, when the yeah, band before us is, is done <laughs> and then my guys are setting up, it's my least favorite time because I mostly it's because I played guitar in bands for so long, and those are the moments when everything goes wrong, where all of a sudden your amp doesn't turn on. Oh, yeah. Or <laughs> So those, watching my guys set up stresses me out, and it just makes me want to just, like, get up and play. So, like, I usually can't watch. <laughs> like, I'm usually, like, <laughs> I'll stay off to the side and just, like, drink water and, like, do minimal stretching or something. Like, just something to occupy my brain because I get so anxious about like i just want this to be done so we can go up there and play you know yeah i don't think the younger guys in my band get nervous um but i know our our guitar player spencer gets really nervous too and you know that feeling of something going wrong right as you're setting yes. up that's it sucks even more when over these years it actually totally. happens you know what yeah. i mean like one time one time this guy we were playing this gig in berlin and we were opening and this guy unplugged spencer's amp like, like at some point in like the backlining situation, I don't know why he just like pulled the cable out of the back of the head. So we started and we didn't even have like stage right guitar at all because he just did like the amp was on and it looked like, it, you yeah. know what I mean? It's just like one of those things you can't control and it completely fucks it up for you and ruins your night. I mean, and like it's circumstance happens. Yeah, those, yeah. those moments when that happens. I mean, I, I remember from pl playing guitar in bands where like, as soon as you realize something's wrong, your brain is at like, you know, a 12 out of 10 going, what the fuck? And like, it's so hard. Like I give so much credit to calm musicians who oh, immediately yeah. can just start the troubleshooting process, not thinking about yeah. how everyone's looking at you and the song is still going on without you. Ugh. Like it is so stressful, but like 
yeah it's one of those things where i'm sure yeah he's looking at his amp that it's on and he's playing and he's like what could be going on it's something as simple as oh just the plug in the back you know it's usually something simple and and i'm not technically proficient so when i'm running all my noise stuff i mean stuff always goes wrong and it's so frustrating and it's really embarrassing and i know it's something simple generally and uh yeah it's just kind of part of the game i guess yeah it's hard to hard to be calm though you just want it to go well it means a lot to you totally so totally i I understand him feeling like that i feel like that we were really nervous we just played a show and he and i were definitely like real anxious especially when it's like a to a crowd that i don't necessarily identify with because i don't know what the fuck to say to them and I don't want to say anything because I don't like stage banter mm-hmm. at all. Like, I don't think it's cool. So I'd rather just say something like dry and lame, you know, yeah. to just just to illustrate how lame I think that it is to say anything. <laughs> and it's just it can be really awkward. I don't know what to and I don't like the breaks between songs. But sometimes this guy needs a break. You know, he's got to play blast beats for 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah, that, that's that's always break. it's funny enough. That's always the other the other uh, ever sort of like conversations we have in the video because to me breaks between (laughs) songs feel like five minutes but then if Uh, i was to watch the show back i'm like oh man that break was only like 35 seconds but to me it's like the longest like the longest breaks i'm just like oh my god are we ready to go we ready to go you know yeah man and sometimes my mind is just blank and i don't have anything to say and then i've chosen not to say anything and then it's just like really awkward and then i'm making us look bad because i'm not saying anything it's just like dave's just like trying to fix a symbol stand or something right and it's like dude give the guy like 15 20 more seconds like he just needs to fix this yep like especially if it's like a festival where he doesn't even get to use his own drum totally set. I, I i can't even imagine it's not my not my world I remember one time <laughs> seeing minus the bear that's another band that i feel like swept the landscape when that menace Aloso record uh came out back when but um I remember seeing Minus the Bear one time and the singer of that band like notoriously did not talk to the audience. And it was like, a, you know, an hour set. And then finally at the end of the set, he was like, for Minus the Bear, thanks, I guess. That's cool. Like, Whoa. That's, that's hard. I just, that's the kind of thing, like if, if I have to choose a presence, I don't want to be a showman because I, I just don't like that vibe at all. Yeah. I just, I should say nothing. Sure. And it used to be more of a thing where we would just intentionally never stop the feedback. Mm. It was just a wall yeah. because those are the kinds of bands that we wanted to see, like just a wall of sound band. It was easier to shut up then. Um, now there's just a little more like of a dynamic feel to the set, you know, for whatever reason. Sure. Talk to me about the first time you recorded. Oh, my God. Mortifying, man. Recording vocals sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I mean, I don't mind it so much nowadays because I know how shitty it is, but holy shit. You know, I just remember, so back when I was just picking up a mic or whatever, and it felt so easy, and it sounded so cool coming out of the PA, and I was actually, like, into how my voice sounded, um, it just felt like a thing that I was was gaining confidence in. And then we wanted to record a demo, and he had this mic set up, and I had my headphones on, and I just remember, like doing like a scream or something and everybody started laughing and i was just like holy fuck this sounds so bad yeah and i didn't even learn i didn't even learn my lesson then so i recorded this shit and it was really uncomfortable but then one time this is a really embarrassing story i've like tried to bury this uh one time uh all these kids were just like chilling in an auditorium in our high school 
and like the guitar player for the band, I was like a freshman and he was like a senior or something. So people thought he was cool. He could play guitar. And they were like, uh, so uh, do you want to sing along with me? I'm going to play this song on guitar. And I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, but I was like, yeah, sure. And I, he started playing and I immediately was like, why am I doing this? And then I like gave like one little yell or something. And I was like so fucking embarrassed because of how bad it sounded. Yeah. And I just, I was like, I just shrunk and like disappeared. Oh, it was really embarrassing for me in front of these yeah. people. And I just like, it wasn't computing, you know, um, just how like, like a PA processes a voice, yeah. you know, and like how good it sounds amongst the instruments, but how bad it sounds when it's just like raw. Yeah. I mean, to, yeah. to this and day, when you hear uh, isolated scream vocals, you're just like, oh my God. Oh my God, it's the worst. And, and mine more than most, because the vocal style that I like use for full of hell that I'm comfortable with is all like dry raspy puke noises. And it sounds so fucking terrible to me. Dry. Yeah. Like I, 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 I really, I can't handle it. And when, if, when we record, I'm just like loaded up with some gain and reverb in my headphones. Like I, I can't hear it raw. I, it just, I don't yeah. know. I, I've learned over time. And, and you know, that was so mortifying to me, those early recording experiences that the first time full of hell did a, Actually, it took it took a while. So like the first couple full of hell recordings went okay, but it wasn't until our second LP where I realized that I was just pushing so hard that it was sounding like it wasn't up to snuff at all. It wasn't sounding like I did live. It wasn't sounding good, and it was blowing out my voice. And it wasn't until the second record that I realized that I needed to use more of like a head voice and that I was projecting improperly. And I had to learn these things on my own because I refused to ever like I never watched that like Zen of screaming shit or Same, anything like yeah. that. I just like wasn't into it. You know, it's again, a chip on my shoulder. I was like, I'm not going to watch that corny ass shit when I probably could have gotten something from it, maybe. But, you know, by the time the second LP rolled around, I realized that I should just be trying to sing as I do live. And it just like definitely made things make sense to me. I was able to track a whole record without losing my voice. Um, and since then, I've just, you know, I've been able to cope with the limitations of recording harsh vocals in that setting. But like, it's a learning experience, man. And it's not fun. People don't really think about it like an instrument, but it, it's, it's an instrument and it's, I think it's hard to deliver on because yeah. it's just like a natural part of your body. Yeah. You're yeah. doing something with your body that you're not supposed to be doing with your body. So there's that. Right. It's right. You know, yeah. it's funny you bring up the Zen of screaming thing. Um, I won't name names, but there are, there are bands that uh, you hear their records before they did the zen of screaming and then you hear them after and you're like and it's like it's like oh you you ruined what was cool about your band because right because now there's not emotion (laughs) behind your screaming now you're doing it as a as an as like a perfected instrument dude i totally agree with you i actually like the the bands that i love the most when it comes to like harsh vocals are the ones where it sounds like the guy's falling off the tracks like it has to sound like psychotic it has to sound fucked up and no shade to Zen of Screaming. I don't even know what kind of techniques they're sharing. I could probably still use something totally. from yeah, that. Yeah, no. But I don't, I, I don't like neutered. I don't like dialed in. I don't like anything like that. I want it to sound fucked. Like Lord Worm, None So Vile era, like rabid dog, off time, fucked yeah, up. That's, that's what good extreme totally, vocals that's what That's what drew me to aggressive music, whether I realized it or not, as a young person, but then continue, like... I've been saying for years, like if some, if there's like a new band that's hyped, I'll be like, yeah, I'll check it out. And then I listen to it 
And within the first minute of listening to that band, if the vocals don't sound genuine to me, I'm like, I'm kind of out. I'm out too. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm not trying to sound like a snob either. Like, I'm not saying I know better. I'm just, I just have like a taste for it and I want it to sound like, yeah, like you said, just like, I want, I want to hear, I want to hear imperfections. I want to hear voice cracking. I want to hear all that stuff. I want to know, I want to, it's got to sound like you mean it, you know, like that's so important to me. Like funny enough, like, I mean that, that with, you know, we did our last record with, with Ross Robinson. And I think what drew me to so much of that stuff when I was a kid and liking a lot of that, like new metal stuff was like, cause that's what he was getting out of these people, you know, like it was such yeah. like a raw, you know, imperfection, like even like the first, you know, Slipknot records, like even on those records, like dudes very, like there's a lot of voice cracking and there's a lot of desperation in those vocals, you know, like, it's it's all of that stuff and and then further with hardcore and getting into like scream of stuff like bands like Sasha and and all oh, that sort yeah. of stuff Jerome's yeah, dream all that stuff like the vocals are so harsh and so you know you can tell there's not like let me do that track again <laughs> you know let me let me punch that vocal yeah. in you know that stuff isn't happening that stuff really that's what really drew like um drew me to screamo as well like page 99 and yeah. stuff like that and pa- circle takes the square back in the day when i heard that the vocals are what like blew me away i thought it was so crazy there was this band called houston we have a problem i feel like they were from pittsburgh uh-huh. maybe and that everybody in the band sang and that was the first time i saw a screamo band again when i was like 14 or something sure. like that man it fucking blew my mind i loved hearing these guys each of them they were singing different lyrics all at the same time and it just was so sick oh, that sounds awesome. and uh i think touche is very emblematic of like vocals that are real and genuine and like feel like a human being like shouting their heart out or whatever and and dude that's so important with any like rock band shit if human beings are playing the instrument i don't personally want to hear quantized drums and like you know perfectly dialed in guitar tracks i want it to feel warm and and raw and a little loose that's the best yeah. shit man you bring up you mentioned uh circle takes a square that's like a perfect example there's that one song i can't i can't think of which what the name of it is but um off the top of my head but where the vocalist says like all i ever asked was for a clean break and his voice cracks so hard during that part but it's my favorite part of the whole record you know yeah it's good yeah it just it's funny I, uh, I get self-conscious about those voice cracks, uh, but my band backs backs me up in a sense where they're just like, they've said, you know, keep that actually. Mm-hmm. Like s- stuff where I'm like, I need to redo this. Like my voice fell the fuck apart. Yeah. <laughs> Even on the new record, there's like, I can hear if I have to listen to it. I'm just like, man, there's a couple things I would change. Yeah. But it, Imperfect is good. Just let it out Absolutely. there. Um, was Full of Hell the first band that ever toured? No, my unnamed high school band, the moment I graduated high school, I actually ditched, this sounds awful, but my mom's graduation party for me where my family came, I was there for like 45 minutes and then I had to go play a show. That's, like it's punk. So uh, <laughs> hilarious. I just feel, I feel bad now because she put effort into booking or, you know, putting together this party yeah. for me. But yeah, I booked this like week long tour for me and some of my still very close friends and we played like you know, quote-unquote shows. The first out-of-state show was in a garage in Ohio, and we, like, pulled up on this place, and the dude was, like, still sleeping. It was, like, 4 p.m., 
And we got him up, and he was just like, the show last night here was crazy. There were so many people. There's probably going to be a lot tonight, too. And no one came, obviously. And we played the show, and he gave us like a... He was nice enough to give us a bag of change. It was like a bunch of pennies or something. Oh, my God. Um, but it was like repeat experiences like that. And I don't know. It was a cool experience. You know, it actually, we ended up in Ocean City for no fucking reason at the end of the tour, the quote-unquote tour, because it wasn't a real tour. Um, and uh, I think Spencer might have come around and hung out with us a little bit when we were in Ocean City, weirdly yeah. enough. But yeah, that was my first tour, and, and I booked it, and it was really hard to book and kind of sloppy in like the most sloppy way you can imagine. Did it? But uh, did it make you feel so like fun. I want to keep doing this? Oh my god, yeah. yes, no question. Yeah. Like moment one, every minute, even when it sucked, I was like, yeah, I want to be sleeping in the van. This is awesome. Right. I, I yeah, love that. I, I was enamored by it, man. And, and, you know, it's cheesy, but, like, reading those Henry Rollins journals, like, I just remember being like, get in the van. Like, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Like, even though so much of that shit, he's just complaining. Right. And, and he's, you know, getting bitten. They played State College, actually, and it, which I thought was so cool in the journal, and he got bitten by a black widow. <laughs> just, like, shitty-ass things happening to you, but it was just really romanticized yeah. to me. I wanted to do... DIY tours and I I still do like the best kind of shit is is on that level yeah yeah, yeah. um when did your relationship with uh a 389 start so we were really gung-ho about full of hell um we started touring with no music pressed or anything which is I can't say that was a good idea but we just like we had to tour there was just like it was me and Spencer, and we were just like, we need to do this. Like, this is, this is what we are doing. No questions. So eventually, we recorded uh, our first 7-inch, but we had no one to put it out. So we shopped it to all these labels. Every label we could think of, like Close Casket, anybody, really. Um, and uh, finally, we got our friend Dave Heck, who lives outside of Philadelphia and ran this label called Get This Right Records. Mm -hmm. He emailed us back and he was like, hey, I don't think I can put this out. I don't have the money to do it right now, but it's really cool. The fact that he took that chance on us. And then he emailed us back like a few days later and he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I can do this. Let's do like 300 copies. And that was just like, to me, that was the defining moment of this is a real band because this guy who runs this label chose to invest his time and money into us. And he also helped us get our first European tour. And Dave was friends with Dom, who ran A389. And after our 7-inch and a split, we were like, can you put us in touch with Dom? And Dom was down. But he was like, yeah, but you're going to do an LP. Yeah. And we were just like, damn. Like, to me, I mean, that was it. Dave Heck, I think, is, is like that, that linchpin, you know what I mean? That started everything for us. And I, that's so important to me now when I think about it critically. For someone to take a chance on a new band it, it's like it's it's so important you you be, you being that first piece that like cosign because it i mean everything's supposed to be so inclusive and i think that a lot of our community is pretty inclusive to new bands but it really even so i mean it's so important to have that one person that's like gonna take a chance you know whether it's a promoter or whether it's a guy running a label um because we hadn't there we there was no Nothing that said that we had to exist. We weren't like filling some empty space that needed to be filled. Nobody needed a full of hell record. Uh, we just wanted it so bad. Yeah. And like, thankfully, this guy took a chance on us. And like, I think it's so important that he Was did. Was that your first time uh, uh, recording with uh, Kevin Bernstein? For, is it Bernstein? Is that how you say it? 
Yeah, for the, the LP, LP yeah. we went to Kevin. Yeah, yeah and, and it was an awesome experience. We recorded the LP in like two days. Wow. Um, we, we always recorded pretty yeah. fast because we rehearse everything so much that it's just like really quick. Did you record it live? Um, no. Nope. Wow. Uh, that's, just went really quick. That's even know. crazier. You did that in two days. Ke Kevin is a really talented engineer and uh, Spencer is really intense about knowing how to play the songs. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really quick process. You know, even now, I think the longest we've taken, we usually book like 10 days now for an LP and we take like maybe six or seven to do an LP. Yeah. And that's us taking our time and the music's a lot more challenging. And uh, like yeah, even this I newest mean, one coming out, you did in like a week. Yeah, maybe like five days, something like that. And then we kind of hung around while Seth mixed it and then like listened to the mixes. I mean, we really took our time. Jesus, too. man. So, I mean, it's 23 minutes, 24 minutes of music. I'm not saying it should it shouldn't take yeah. longer. And I'm not do dogging bands that do take longer because I think it's normal to take a lot sure. longer. But it's just not, we record stuff fast. That's just kind of how we I'm just like, how we I operate. guess I'm just so used to these days where like, the first three or four, three or four days in the studio. I mean, aside from Ross was different, but like the first three or four days for like other records in the past is usually just like set up and like getting tones and like, you know, all that right. sort of stuff. So respect. I mean, we do yeah. that too. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it has to do with Spencer. I mean, he's just like, he's like our kind of de facto leader and I think he runs a pretty tight ship. Sounds like and it. And not in a way. Yeah, dude. So we're, I mean, so much time goes into him rehearsing with Dave, which is like the most essential, you know, and I, and I spend time as if, as long as I can do even the shittiest demos beforehand, just to get my structuring down, I'm pretty good to go too. It only takes me like a few hours maybe to record vocals for an LP, mm -hmm. but, uh, and, and I mean, it's, it, that's, uh, says something about the engineers we work with too. Like it's quick with Kurt Ballou too. He's a fucking genius. And, uh, um, I mean, we get tones with him, but things move quickly. And I think it says something about being super rehearsed and dialed in. And I don't know. That's just, it's just how it's always been. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful because I don't necessarily want to spend four weeks in a studio. Yeah. Can be, either, can either. be rough. Can be very rough. Dude, the, the body collabs are written in the studio and that takes maybe four days. Damn. Yeah. So we just like fly with yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you ended up going to to Kevin, though, was that your first time going to like a like more, I guess, quote unquote, like legitimate studio or had you done that stuff before? That was the first time I would say we were in a legitimate studio. We'd recorded with engineers that had like studio spaces mm -hmm. for sure. But to, to us, Kevin was super legit. He uh, we were really excited because he recorded Pulling Teeth and he recorded Surroundings, which was like this kind of power violence hardcore them, band yeah. from from Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah, man, and and he did this LP for them that had come out like a year before that sounded so fucking sick. So we were really excited to go there and a little nervous because we thought Kevin was like, you know, this super cool guy and we were really lame. But he was really cool with us and it was easy. I don't know. But it, there was definitely like heightened sense of purpose going in. We were like, this is Right, real. no, I feel that. Um, the first time you worked <laughs> with Mark McCoy on art, was that on the Mersbo split? Yep, that was the first cool. time. Cool. How did that feel? Was that like a connection that you reached out and started working with them or what? I was such a, so I know you can relate to this, but I was such a huge Charles Bronson fan throughout high school and like Holy Moeller and Dasoth and all that shit. I thought he was super hilarious. I just, I, I, I felt like they were such like a pranky band and I was so obsessed with just like fucking with people. Like that was, if I had another love in my life besides being in a band, it was like 
fucking with mm-hmm. people. Like, just doing, like, jackass-style dumb shit. I lived near PSU. Like, it was just full of dickheads, and it was just ripe for the picking. So someone like Mark was, like, right up my alley. And his artwork, at, you know, as I got older, you know, and he got into his art and started Youth Attack, and it, it just... I was such a fan. And uh, I didn't think he would ever work with a band like ours. I didn't think we were like on a level where we he would want to associate with us. So I just kind of like we we hooked up with Profound Lore, which I was very very thrilled about because I really liked his label and uh I was like, you know, why don't we just like in in my mind that was us like shooting for the stars. Like let's see if Mark McCoy will even answer the email. So I sent him this long ass email and he actually wrote back and he was down, you know, for whatever reason. And at that time, I was thinking like you know, he's just He's like he's down to work with us. I, I I'm sure he doesn't think the music is cool. I'm sure he thinks it's like super lame. But I'm just grateful. I don't even care if he doesn't like our band. So uh, it was a pretty easy relationship. And he I mean he did like a stellar job on that record. And over time our relationship built. And and like I learned you know that he was down to be you know part of the team. You know that's like a really affirming relationship for me because I really look up to that I, guy. I mean. Absolutely. I, I've loved every record cover he's done. He's done for full of hell. And, and for obviously, yeah, I'm with you with like youth attack stuff. Like it's always just such elevated work, you know, like the, you could, yes. I'm also just like fascinated. I'm like, how did you do this type stuff? But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can relate completely when I reached out for the hesitation wounds record, like in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way that this guy's going to want to fuck with anything that I'm right. involved with. And like, I'll be surprised <laughs> if he responds and, same deal and was just so cool and open and down and easy to work yes. with and just such a, a such a joy and i remember he came out to one of our brook like touche when touche came he came out to a show in brooklyn and uh like elliot and like you know clayton they're like holy fuck mark mccoy's coming to the show like yeah what? <laughs> same yeah, feeling like, same stood on feeling. the side stage <laughs> and watched a touche set which are like things i never would have thought <laughs> would be Possibly, oh yeah you know? <laughs> i mean like you said when he came out to the first time he came out hey, this is this whole thing's gonna just embarrass him i'm sure but the first time he came out to see full of hell it was like full of hell and gate creeper and i was like this isn't mark's thing i'm like really stoked he came out but like i don't give a fuck if he doesn't like us i'm just like grateful that he's yeah. like friendly and wants to work with us but then we had him sing on on weeping yeah. and he just oh man the chills when he delivered that shit to me i was just like man this is perfect and we played this show in brooklyn at the end of our weeping tour and he did his spot and he did like a stage dive after us part and i was just like man this is like crystallizing moment for me but yeah mark's fucking awesome man and 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 his art it truly is elevated It, it he his approach to music and and art and like the importance of like physical aesthetic like that medium next to the art or next to the music, I mean, I don't, it's, it's, it's crucial. Yeah. I, I'm, I like following his lead in that sense. And man, some of those records, like, do you remember, uh, like the, the one hoax EP that was like a full, it's like a totally. fold out, but the cover was like, yeah, those man in that officer's uniform with the yeah. rocks, his dude, crazy attention to detail. It's, it's high it, art. It's fucking yeah, awesome. The amount of times that I've seen stuff, whether it's like stuff that he's done for, you guys are regional justice center, whatever. Like I'm always just like, so like shocked at how, and when he sent, you know, when he, when we started our relationship with hesitation and stuff and he started sending me what he was working on, I was just like, I cannot believe how cool this is. Like, 
Yeah, you're just like, fuck, you just made our band like a hundred times yeah, cooler. Yeah, it was... Or I more. Mean, uh, truthfully, the the cover for uh, the trumpeting ecstasy, it's like... It's, it's, one, it's like a top ten favorite album covers of all time. Like, I mean, it is so fucking hard. <laughs> like, I mean, I see if you have a you have a frame behind you. Like, I I can't get over how sick that that cover is. You know, when he first sent that back, that was like our first project with Mark, where we were really getting on a level, where he was like almost like an extended member of the band because he had all the lyrics, and we. Um, there was a special care, I think, put into him, like, digesting what I'm trying to write about and, like, almost, like, realizing what the band is about. Yeah. And when we first saw that cover, Spencer and I were actually, for the first moment, we were like, I don't know about this. This is almost, like, too on the nose because we're not, like, uh, trying to be some, like, goofy-ass anti-Christian band. Like, I think that's, like, a common misconception. And I felt like afraid that maybe we were going to play into that but it was like a really valuable moment in growth for us because um it was just like the first time that mark's art kind of showed me that this band isn't necessarily what i'm trying to make it like all of the efforts we've poured into this point have already made it it's almost like it's its own organism and it takes this like collective energy of me and spencer and dave and sam and mark you know, to kind of like really sum it up. And uh, I I think he's just like really been important for my growth as like a member of this band or a member of any band I'm in, in realizing like, you know, it's not my ship to steer necessarily. It At a certain point, there's like a cool magical moment where like the ship almost steers itself. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Do you know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Like, I feel like discovering what Full of Hell really was was absolutely as mark was essential to that process and i'm still figuring it out but man without him i don't know we needed he just like he illuminated it you know it's an interesting thought Big yeah time. it's an interesting thought to have it's like when you're a part of something and you help build something um there does come a point when it's out of your control anymore you yeah know? you're just it's not yours anymore yeah you're not it's not yours anymore you're just you're helping it move but but how it is to the public eye, how it is uh, with the story that it's been building. You know, it's like you don't even realize you're building the story of this thing, you know? Exactly. And, and that to me is like what collaboration is like all about and what we've gained from working with the body and what we've gained from Mark is uh, it's like the, the true kind of like mystical power of making art is, is this idea that you're, it's almost like something else is guiding your hand like you can navigate the ship 80 percent of the way but sometimes you know it takes like the collective energy of somebody else to kind of like guide you into the parking spot right you know? uh so now i'm trying to be more conscious of that moving forward especially having someone like mark on board because i really feel like he understands what we're trying to do and what i'm trying to sing about and i don't even I'm not even able to have the removed perspective to necessarily like understand that. So he's essential. Yeah. Um, man, I just got to ask real quick. How was it uh, working with Kurt Ballou for two records? Like, was it, was that, was that a nerve wracking situation at first? And, and uh, did it take you a second to warm up to his uh, rough sense of humor? 
No way. <laughs> Actually, I met him. We met him finally. Okay, so I got to preface by saying um, we have been huge Converge fans since we yeah. were kids. You know, I fucking love Converge. I ever since the f- before the first seven inch came out, uh, we were like, what kind of band do we want to be? And the answer is like Converge or like Neurosis. Who and Converge is like we want to be like Neurosis. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're all following this like this doctrine of like what it is to be like real motherfuckers. I think Converge are as real as it gets, and Neurosis as well. So we've always been huge fans of Converge. If we had to like make a bucket list of bands that we want to affiliate with, bands we want to play with, Converge has been in the top three since we started the band. They're just a very interesting band that comes from a punk background and they do whatever the hell they want and they're just like everything about them i mean like even even them having like families and having children and how they carry themselves and still make their art and make it work i glean wisdom from those guys just by being around them and talking to them like i really appreciate those guys so like we didn't i think we met Nate like way earlier on cuz Nate's always like the guy that's like down you yeah. know what i mean he's always around and he's cool as fuck. And, uh, you know, we were always cool with Nate. And we met Kurt at a show in Portugal, I think. And it was really flattering. What was really flattering to us was that a couple different times he had told people to tell us to come to God's city, which was, like, wild to us. Um, but when we met Kurt, we thought he was hilarious and super sweet. And uh, it was kind of like an obvious move, like, yeah, let's go to fucking God's city. Yeah. And uh, one of the things, one of the modern rec- records that he had done that really sealed the deal for us was a Sumac record, and I'm not even sure which one, but it just sounded so devastating. And the, his drum sounds are so big, but still organic. And so uh, it was an obvious decision. And honestly, man, from the moment we showed up, it was just like good times. We're pretty harsh internally on each other. I think we have like a really cruel sense of humor. Yeah internally on our on ourselves like uh i think it's important yeah you know we're kind of ego ego busters we're always talking shit on each other so i actually think i don't think kurt is on a level where he could have like really bummed us out he actually did say one thing to me during the first recording process that bummed me out that i kept with me until the next time and i kind of gave him shit about it he we were like talking about dogs and i was like yeah i've got a corgi he's like a cool ass little dog it's my best friend and he was like oh cool one time when I was a kid, I uh, saw two Rottweilers break into a yard and they each of them grabbed either end of this corgi and ripped it in half and killed it. And I was just like, why Why would you tell me this? Like, it's not funny. Yeah. It's just fucked yeah. up. <laughs> and I brought it up to him. I was like, yo, what the fuck, man? Like years later. But dude, the whole time we were just like talking about cool stories and he kind of knew the band enough at that point to like really know what needed to happen. Yeah. And, it was only cool, right? Honestly, yeah. Maybe we're maybe we're kind of dickheads, and like, if if you're saying he's like kind of got a cruel sense of humor, I, I guess I kind of understand that. But it's it's he's on our yeah, level. I no, think like I, we really understood each other. I think that he gets. <laughs> uh, I mean, he, we've we've toured with him a couple of times. Like I I I think he's in. I think he's so cool, but I think that there's a joy. Maybe he's lightened up a bit because now he's a now he's a family more of a family man, but. But yeah. man, I know he used to get joy out of just trying to make you go, what the fuck? Like, I've told this story on here before, <laughs> but like the first date we did with Converge, um, you know, we're all nervous. We're like, you know, like you, it's like, I'll, I'll say that with Converge and I actually just interviewed Jake yesterday or two days ago. Sick. Um, we, uh, 
we've always looked at Converge as like a guiding light in a way where we've made decisions based on stuff they've done where you're like, where right. you're like, I remember early on, we're like, is getting a banner lame? Converge has a banner. <laughs> okay. So yeah. That's cool. Is getting a bass drum design lame? Ben Collar has a bass drum design. I guess it's cool. You know, like things like that. We're exactly. like, if, if Converge has done it, then I guess it's all right. It passes the test. Uh, but yeah, so we did this show with Converge, you know, we toured with Converge and the first time it was like, you know, I saw Kurt sitting outside on a stair, like just, you know, flipping through his phone. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to go talk to, I'm going to go talk to Kurt. And I walked up and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what's going on, Kurt? What do you have to? And he's like, and he looked up to me and he goes, walking away from you and just walked away. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. And I was like, what the fuck? And then later he came up to me and was like, I was just fucking with you. And then, you know, it was like the nicest guy, but it was like, I could tell that's, that was the, uh, that's, that's the, the sense of humor, which I appreciate. But in the moment you're kind of hitting the stomach, like, Oh my God. <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of where we come from. Um, you know, before converge, uh, we were also, we've always been really tight with pulling yeah. teeth and pull it. I, I want to say that there's potential for pulling teeth to maybe be more pranky like that and more cold than converge. So I know on like pulling teeth tour of Converge, they were definitely trying to fuck with Converge too. Like uh, I don't remember who in pulling teeth would do this, but it, they told me that he would always just walk up and try to hold Jake's hand, <laughs> and just just to like get in his space. You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially if they were like trying to set up or he was trying to do something serious, they would just try to bust his balls. And that's what A three eighty nine loved about us was that like Dave Bland was just trying to be a dickhead. And like, like the first time we saw Pulling Teeth, he like went up to the drummer, Alex, and he was just like, what's up, bro? That was all right, man. It was a little sloppy. I'd never heard you guys before. And he just was like, just like, just sunning him. And Dave was like 15 years old. So like this guy was just like, what? <laughs> like just kind of looking at him in disbelief. And to this day, kind of like a test for us when we go on bands or go out with bands that we don't know at a certain point, we just try to bust our egos a little bit to see how they take it. Cause if you take yourself too seriously, we're just not going to be friends. Yeah, you're in trouble. There's like no way you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I think like, I don't know. I think, I think we're just more accustomed to that mean behavior. Yeah. Like, like Dom is like a true shithead in that sense. Like the guy that runs a 39, it's always been like, let's bust people down. It's just, and sometimes maybe it's too far. I, I had, I, I totally admit that. Um, I try to be a genuine kind person generally, but, Everybody needs to be busted down a peg every now and then, myself included. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 it good. It's it a good thing. Helps. Yeah, I love that story. Those guys are fucking hilarious. Yeah, no, it was, and there was multiple situations like that. But you know, pretty, pretty quickly, like you know, we 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 figured it out or whatever. You know, like Ben, <laughs> ben and Nate were always instantly the the sweetest guys in the entire world but uh but yeah there's there was moments where you're like oh fuck oh fuck i don't even know how to how to deal with this um yeah i think i barely ever talked to jake but the one time i do remember him coming up and talking to us was it like roadburn or something and he just kept saying full of shit huh <laughs> full of shit and i was just like yes full of shit <laughs> um yo so i got i feel like i could talk to you for hours but uh i don't want to drag i don't you know we're already at over an hour here uh i wanted to bring up the new record so when did you guys actually record this thing uh january and so we had those recording dates booked before the pandemic yeah. even because that's just kind of how we yeah. roll um yeah 
January of this year. Did just like normal full health style, you guys knocked it out in like a week? Nothing different about it except we had much less of a desire to like go to the mall. You know what I mean? Or go to the movies or some shit. We didn't really Where did do you, anything like that. And who'd you guys do this so, one with? Machines with Magnus, which is like vastly understated genius studio helmed by like a fucking wizard, Seth Manchester. I don't know. It's just, it's a, gr- it was, it's a great studio. It's in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Okay. Uh, it was an awesome experience. We've recorded with Seth a couple times before he did the body collabs. Um, we kind of always felt like we would end up going to machines um, and we wanted to mix things up, you know, after we'd done a couple yeah. with Kurt. So uh, we had a great experience. He, Seth really pushes us and he's not from uh, like a metal space or like a hardcore punk grindcore type of space at, at all. So in that sense, it, I think he really brings something important to the table. I, I love that. I think getting those outside perspectives coming from a different, you know, like, like you're going to have someone looking at maybe a problem, not necessarily a problem, but maybe a, a question of where to take a certain, whether it's part in a song or or maybe whether how to, how to approach recording the certain thing from such an outside perspective. So, yeah, I could see that being. Yeah, yeah. And, and his, his world is like, very avant-garde experimental music and like you know cool intelligent like indie and just like really more out of the box stuff and uh he has just such attention to detail you know he's like a really integral part of the body um who you know i think are are very important band in in like the world of experimental music i think their music is really insightful and it's all over the place and just the places they pull influence from are just very interesting and their approach is interesting and Seth is like very important part of that and uh I just think he's uh I think he's got a like an an important set of tools that are are really cool in the spectrum of like full of a band like full of hell I just think it's I think he 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 makes things really interesting for me with uh but before I hit you with the last question I'm actually curious like what do you think drives full of hell to be to have such like an enormous amount of output because it seems like whether it's like with albums or collabs or EPs or this, that, and the other thing, like what is, what is the driving force for you guys to be like, let's just keep making music, keep making music, keep making music. Well, that's like a hard thing to explain. Um, Sometimes it's like guys will ask us that and I don't really have an answer because it's just kind of who we are. In fact, sometimes me and Spencer will just like, look at a band that does like a record every five or six years. And, and we're, we ask that question. Like we don't understand like, okay, so you're in a band, you're a musician, this is what you do. So what are you doing? And I, and I understand it takes people different amounts of time to write music and I'm not discounting that at all. But for us, it just doesn't, we don't even consciously say we're going to be like prolific or we're going to do a lot of shit. It's just kind of like, we have a lot of gas in the tank. We don't even think about it. It's just kind of who we are. Like, we're here to make music. And now more than ever, I just, I'm like kind of thunderstruck by the fact that we get to do this all the time. So it's just like, why wouldn't we do this all the time then? So we're always just working on stuff. And as we get, you know, positive feedback from people or we, as our band grows, like when we can quantify that and see that, I think it just like pushes us along more. And yeah, there's like moments where there's writer's block. That's like totally normal. But uh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. It's just kind of who we are. We feel like that's the way we're supposed to be. And it's natural. It's a great answer. You I know? mean, I'll accept that. 
Cool. Um, nice. So when was the first time that you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? You know, I think there's been like lots of tiny moments like that, but uh, one where I've really tried to just like keep in my head because I feel, I don't know about you, but I get depressed like pretty frequently, especially over this whole pandemic. And I feel like uh, an intense amount of like imposter syndrome and like I feel like a fucking fool and I feel like I'm I'm not talented and I don't know why we get to do these things sometimes, you know? Um, so I try to like hang on to these moments and I think the one that sticks out to me is that show I mentioned earlier at the end of our tour for Weeping Choir because, you know, we'd done this record on Relapse and it, it did better than any of the records before it and we had just did this tour where like people came to see us and we ended it at this like sold out show in Brooklyn. There was like probably like 550 or 600 people, which to us, I just like never would have for us. That's like crazy. And I just like, we had all of the guys that sang on the record besides Kristen, who was out in California, everybody on the record was there. And like my friend Paulo came up and did his guest spot, fucking Mark McCoy jumping on stage and just doing a stage dive after his part. And like, even when we were setting up, I just remember we had like a sound guy for the first time on that tour. And uh, we just like to play like goofy ass shit before we play to kind of like break the mood, you know? And I remember Rippy, our sound guy, played like the SpongeBob theme song. (laughs) And that's a cartoon I've watched like literally since the moment it came out. Um, It just like had a huge impact on like my sense of humor as a kid. And uh, you know, I still think it's funny to this day. And uh, I just remember he played that theme song so out of place at like a whatever kind of show. But everybody in the front row was singing this fucking song. And like, I think he played That's So Raven, which I never watched, <laughs> but I know what it is. <laughs> and so like our, a little backstory, we literally were just trying to play things that were like whack in, in perspective of like a metal show. If there was like a guy that was going to take himself seriously and he was like, I'm a fucking full of hell fan, 666. And then he hears like some Disney shit. It's just like a kind of a bummer. (laughs) So that was like the point. But when this SpongeBob theme song came on, all these kids were singing this shit. And I was just like, holy shit. There's like no, there's like so many parallels in my life that have nothing to do with full of hell that are intersecting at this very moment. And all of these people in this room are so supportive and like fucking cool. And I've made this band where I can literally just be myself. I don't have to fucking wear a costume. I don't have to act like some kind of fucking hard ass. So, like, it was just like a fire set. And everybody was stoked. And all these things kind of culminated. And I was just like, damn. Like, this is, uh, I'm lucky. I have to, like, hang on to this, you know? Love that. I love that. There's something to, uh, I'm with you. Not as as extreme as the SpongeBob or That's So Raven theme, (laughs) but um, when we do like headliners, it's mandatory that we play like often, like honestly, between sets, we just tell, you know, whoever's has control of the the PA or whatever, just like uh, they're like, you know, we'll come. It'll be at a show where we maybe forget to mention it and they're playing bands like that are within our world between songs. And I'm like, no, tell them like, we just go up, we say, put on Sam cook radio. That's all we want to hear. Right. Between right, like put right. on like Motown soul, like anything that is so different than what is being played on stage. Cause I mean, that's good. Yeah. 
It's palate cleansing it, oh, too. It's such palate cleansing. Also, those are songs that everybody knows. You know, like you can you can yeah. whether you like it yeah. or not, you're singing along and at least in your head. You know what people freaked out for that we played a lot on that tour? We would make Rippy play the Law and Order theme song. <laughs> gung, gung, dun, 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 dun. And kids would just be like, yeah. Or like uh, when Sam first joined the band, he, was, he did a tour with us just playing saxophone through the whole set. And if we had some like dead space or something, he would do like the opening lick of Who Can It Be Now? <laughs> and no matter what, the ice in the room would blow. Oh, I love that. Because it's just hilarious. It's just stupid. And in Europe, we definitely had a thing where we would just play shitty-ass American country, like the poppy shit, like some Toby Keith wow. or something. Yeah, because I just want to, I want it to be jarring. I don't know. Like, I just don't take it seri- so fucking seriously. Yeah. It's just like, it's whack. Yeah. You, you're in a fucking band that like really in the big picture doesn't matter. And I just like, I want everybody that plays in a band that has some self-importance to like, you know, self-love, like care about your craft, but do not take it too seriously. It's just like embarrassing to me, to us. I don't like it. Respect. It's like the ego. It's like, it gives me, just like, it makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I appreciate you, Dylan. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. Take it easy. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Dylan for coming on. And remember, if you want a little more Dylan, hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to check out that bonus episode. And also just subscribe. Help me out. Support the show. I'd really appreciate it. All right. I will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.